Welcome to Audio Gyan. Today we have a very special guest with us, Mr. Anirudh Joshi. Anirudh is a professor at Industrial Design Center, IIT Mumbai. He works in the field of design and teaches human-computer interaction and related topics in IIT Mumbai and other academic institutions all over India. He is one of the first teachers to introduce usability and ethnographic user studies. Anirudh did his B.Tech in Electrical Engineering from IIT Mumbai, followed by his Masters in Design from IDC, specializing in the field of Visual Communication. It's a great honor to have you. Thanks, Anirudh, for being on the show. Sure, most welcome. Thank you. Yeah, today's discussion will be around uh, epistemology of design in India, right? So, uh, being a designer myself, I have clearly seen uh, there's a big gap between the syllabus which is taught in design schools or any other academic uh, institutions um, and what is actually required from a professional like when you become a professional designer yeah so what's your perspective on this i mean uh, do you think uh, first do you agree that there's this gap and if yes uh, then why do you think it exists yeah so so sure uh, do gaps do exist i totally agree that there are gaps between what we teach uh, in uh universities and uh, design schools and what a professional designer needs to do and uh, uh, i would say that there are three kinds of gaps okay so the first set of gaps are uh, first kind of gaps i would say are the unintentional gaps uh things that sort of get left out in the curriculum things that you know nobody covers but could have been covered but sort of were just not done basically okay and uh, there can be quite a few of those things because there is like just a large number of things that people need to learn to become good designers and uh, uh, so you cannot really cover everything in a course curriculum okay uh, and so generally i have said this in the past that it takes between 5 to 7 years to make a designer okay and in our design school for the masters program it's just a two years program uh, for the undergraduate program also it's a four year program but uh, these are very formative programs and uh, they really start taking design seriously uh, only in their third year onwards so so it takes about 5 to 7 years so necessarily some of these have to be spent in the industry and many things that get left out the second kind of gap i would say or the second uh, reason for the gap is because certain things are best learned in the industry they are not actually best learned i mean if you if you attempted to teach those kind of things in a academic setup uh, it will not be a very fruitful exercise so those are the kind of things that are easily and very quickly learned in the industry they are you know part of your work ex initial few years of your work ex and those, those are best left for the industry uh, and in fact the people in the academy after a few years so will kind of lose touch so so a lot of people in the in the design academia do come with some industry background and so however after a few years they kind of lose touch with those uh, qualities and uh, so they are not really very well equipped to teach those kind of things so, so i think and those are also okay i mean i would leave them out uh, and say that okay so these are best learned from while you are in the industry the few first few years of their experience but then the third kind of a uh, gap that actually i would call as the intentional gaps or uh things that that we 
things that we do which are sort of uh, intentionally different from what the industry does in the academia. Uh, so if you see some of the good, some of the better design schools all over the world, they will uh, not necessarily prepare people only for the industry. Or I would say only for the immediate applications in the industry. So you know, certainly in we in IDC and I personally believe that actually uh, design education is education rather than training. You know, it's not design training in the sense that uh, the objective is not to prepare people with a certain set of skills, but to develop people into better individuals, better thinking individuals, thought leaders of the future, uh, able, able to you know think separately, think differently, think family insured. You, know, you can you can have many kinds of uh, what we can call as the higher order thinking skills that you might want to develop, which are relevant for design. And if you see some of the best design schools in the world, uh, don't prepare people so that they can immediately, in the first or second month after joining a company, start being productive. That is not the objective. In fact, the, you see some of the design leaders who have come from these best design schools, they are relevant and they are providing thought leadership and design leadership even 15, 20, 30 years after they finish their design education. And having that kind of a so, so while you are focusing on that kind of an outlook, uh, even if you don't focus on something sort of more immediate, intentionally, that I think it's fairly intentional. They uh, uh, they do it deliberately in the sense that you know, take away from something that you might do in the industry immediately. Hmm. So you're saying that these curriculum or these courses are crafted in such a way that there is room for students to explore in the later part of their career. Uh, so you're saying that's what you meant by intentional? Yes. Uh, so do things that are not necessarily immediately. I mean, if you see my most curriculums, uh, they are not necessarily that, you know, I would say about 50-60% of a curriculum. And I'm only now talking about my curriculum, our curriculum in IDC that I'm familiar with the most. Uh, uh, 50-60% of our curriculum is perhaps not having an immediate direct application when the student goes and joins the industry. But it helps in developing the person, developing an individual as a good designer. Uh, so, you know, so so if you look at even the fundamental, I mean, starting with the fundamentals uh, in the first year, you know, first semester, first few months, you know, just going and going to a workshop and learning to make a perfect cube or going every day early in the morning and attending sketching classes. Or, you know, so I develop certain disciplines, certain rituals, certain skills, certain abilities, uh, an eye for the detail, and so on. So these are the kind of things that uh, are not necessarily, I mean, nobody probably will need to make a cube when they join the industry. Uh, but it is something that develops your you as a person. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's mainly to make uh, students sensitive about design at a bigger, uh, on a bigger canvas and also... Uh, yeah, it develops certain sensitivities, it develops an attention to detail, it, it you know makes you sit down for several hours continuously paying attention to the minute variation that is happening in your model or in your drawing, you know, so it just develops a certain set of skills, uh, certain disciplines and I think they are very important uh, in the longer run. Uh, or you might be doing a course in research methods. Now, there may be hardly anybody uh, in the industry uh, in the area of design uh, who might need, maybe very few people, I would say 10% of the people perhaps might need research methods to be applied in their work. 
But because you are equipped with that, it gives you a certain power, it gives you a certain outlook, it gives you a certain strength, which you would otherwise miss out on and uh, shy away from if the opportunity arises. So, so there are certain gaps which, of course, need to be ready. And now I'm kind of, kind of taking a slightly wider perspective at a national level. If you look at design schools, uh, there are many new design schools coming up in India. We kind of had now, I think, 30 or 35 design schools in the last uh, last 10, 15 years that have opened up, which is a fabulous thing. This is something that we've been sort of looking for. I mean, waiting for to happen. Uh, however, because there are now so many new schools. Uh, there are not enough people who have design teaching experience. So there are certain bunch of gaps that are coming because of that, you know. So, and that will, uh, I mean, you will, I mean, this is always a chicken and egg story. I mean, unless there are opportunities for hiring design teachers, which is new design schools, why would somebody want to develop themselves into good design teachers? They wouldn't. So I think uh, it's a matter of time when we will get people who are better and better. And uh, I think it behoves upon us to uh, give opportunities for new design teachers to develop at a national level. Uh, yeah, so some of these things are sort of more uh, woes of the expanding design education field. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very interesting. Uh, so any other perspective or your thoughts on reducing these uh, intentional gaps? I think uh, what I have not mentioned so far is design research. Uh, is a very important uh, attraction for a design academic, okay? And I think uh, the importance of this has increased over the last few years, but it is still new enough and not sufficiently understood, particularly not sufficiently understood, I would say, in the industry, the importance of this. And uh, because we haven't had a very strong uh, tradition in design research uh, over the last, I mean, I think you would say, uh, much of it has started in the last 10 or 11 years and uh, it will probably uh, increase in importance in the next 10 or 11 years and the effects of it we will start seeing. So, but having, having conferences, for example, research conferences, I mean, so we actually don't have, uh, we ha I would say how many conferences do we have in India which can be considered to be research conferences? You know, so I would say maybe three. Well, there is Typo Day, there is India HCI and there is... Uh, uh, accord. Uh, other than that, we don't really have very strong design-led research conferences. Uh, so developing research conferences where people can meet, exchange ideas, and develop areas of work, and so on. I think so that is something that is uh, beginning to happen also incidentally over the last 10 years. I mean, all these conferences are also within the last 10 years. So, so that is one big area that is developing. Uh, the other big area that is developing is the number of PhDs. I think it's related. The number of PhDs that we are getting out of uh, people from design schools is also increasing. So these two things, I think, will help in developing design education and design educators in a substantial way, a significant way. Uh, we also used to have a fairly strong... Uh, so, so basically, if you see how the design education was set up in India, the first generation design teachers sort of developed in a situation where there was almost virtually no industry. Okay? Uh, so it was in that sense relatively easy to attract good talent into design teaching. I would say the last 20 years or so, 
we've had a very strong growth in the industrial area in all in IT industry manufacturing industry has grown you know automobile so many sectors have grown and fortunately they have started hiring designers uh, as a result though the education sector has become something that people don't think of as a career in the beginning so not many good designers and they managed to attract back so some so like for example i passed out in 1992 i worked in industry for about 6 years or 7 years and i said okay i want to teach some of these things to students so i joined back as a faculty member in 1998 late 1998 in idc so uh, there are a few other people from my uh, age group who have done that okay uh, but in the next generation i would say 10 10 years down the line we haven't had that many people from very good design schools great designers who have really gone back to the industry gone back to academics okay uh, then i would say in the next in the next 10 years i mean i would say in the last 10 years i would say well, we are actually getting a lot more traction from many very young people are going and doing phd and that they are looking at as a method of getting into academics so and this might sort of eventually pan out into something better so that is one thing that we can do uh, there are several other things that actually have happened in other fields but haven't happened in design so for example uh, in the technology area the iits have a pan iit alumni network which is extremely strong uh, so the alumni actually give back iit bomb iit alumni including iit bombay and many of the other iits actually give back to a lot in in many different ways to the their alumnators of course some of them are faculty members but other than that i'm saying i mean people who are working in the industry so same thing has not really started i would say from in the context there are networks alumni networks but they, they are mainly from a job perspective or from or maybe discussions about design and so on but they really haven't contributed back or there has haven't been uh, the student alumni networks or uh, mentoring or you know so that networkness has not been there as strongly as it should be so i mean alumni is just one way but if you kind of expand that idea then you know industry professionals uh, good industry professionals people who are and and the good industry professionals will be the ones who are busy okay and just because they are busy then they are not able to go and give enough time to and there as we have actually we are extremely lucky that we do get some people who come and contribute and work but i would say it is still not enough uh, we'll probably need lot more of their time and lot more people coming in and doing things um, and i would say we are also at fault i don't think that uh, at least in our school i would say we haven't done enough to develop such a alumni network from our side and we're trying to do something about that recently so there are quite a few things that could possibly be done uh, about reducing these gaps but all gaps need not be reduced also i mean some of the gaps are very much intentional okay and, and in fact sometimes what happens is i would say right now the most uh scarce we have a lot of scarcity in our academic systems okay so i say faculty faculty members and so on but i think maybe you know in idc we are actually right now jam packed for space you know we have gone from 60 students to 300 students within a matter of 7 years and we haven't really added a lot of space in the in the in, in our building so there may a lot of scarcity in equipment money that's always the people who always complain about it but i think the biggest scarcity is the time of students so may most of our programs are extremely compressed so the question is when you add something what is it that you should be taking out uh, and that is the question that always arises 
And that is why I said that there is quite a few things that we intentionally cover, which are not sort of relevant for the industry. And if we add more and more things which are relevant for the industry, what we will have to take out from is those things eventually. So when do you think this gap will uh, be balanced out? I mean, given design, assuming design to be in, in a very adolescent stage uh, uh, in comparison with other disciplines of studies, uh, what is your assumption or when do you see this gap uh, getting reduced where the demand and the supply of good designers is balanced out? So, I don't, th- okay, so if you look at the scale of the country, uh, 1.25 billion, 1.3 billion population country, uh, we have a, we have, our industry has been continuously growing uh, for the last 20, 30 years at the rate of 7, 8, 10, 12, 14%. Uh, for a country of this size, for, in terms of population as well as industry, uh, we need a large number. I would, I would, if I have to take a guess, something like 10 million designers is something that we probably need. At least 5 million designers is something that we would be looking for. We are probably right now, in terms of numbers, somewhere around maybe 20,000 designers. Mm, that's a massive a yeah. country. Okay, I don't know how you count a designer, but that's, if you look at it, that's, that's the huge gap, basically. That we have. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we are not even 2% there, I would say. Okay, or 1% there. So we are kind of, we have a huge gap in terms of, and as a result, many things have happened actually. One of the things that has happened is that design has become inaccessible to people who need design. And let me give an, give an example. I mean, if you have, uh, if you have a uh, small NGO doing something, and they need design, but they cannot afford design because designers' salaries are just way too high. So we have very few people, and there are uh, quite a few, lot of demand on their time, and obviously then they will try to optimize on that and try to take, and each person will individually try to make the most of the benefits that they are getting in life, which is fine. However, there will be, so what, has, what this has done right now is uh, made design inaccessible. So, we rarely will find jobless designers. Okay, uh, I mean, unless somebody is really very bad or has been very, it's been a very something unfortunate has happened, you'll really not find uh, typically a person who is really looking for a job and is not finding a job for six months or one year or something like that. So, so which is, I mean, as a designer, we might think, oh, that is great. But it is, I mean, the reason for that is because there's just so much pent up demand uh, that many sectors, many sections of society, don't think about hiring designers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so if you look at small scale, if you look at the manufacturing industry, the small scale industry just will not think about design, hiring designers. Uh, if you if you think about the print industry, the small publication houses, uh, they will not. They will think design is a resource which is sort of way beyond their capacity. Uh, but maybe because uh, they are not sensitive enough to the design uh, concept as such or are not exposed to that environment, right? So, well, that's what we think as designers. But I think that is really not the case. I mean, in the sense that, uh, well, one of the things is they are not exposed sufficiently to design and that is possible. But they don't, I mean, how exposed are we to doctors? They're really not exposed to doctors or medicine, I would think. I don't need to be sensitive to medicine. I, I don't have to be a professional patient. Similarly, I don't have to be a you know, so so uh, I think it's just people will just not think about hiring designers unless they are really uh, large companies or extremely deep pocket activities. And if you think about it, now if you say I'm wearing a designer shirt, I would automatically assume that it's an expensive shirt, which is not a great thing for design. 
might think, oh, the designer has a lot of money, but it is not such a great thing because then there is not enough competition. Designers get complacent. Kuch bhi karega to bhi, it's okay. Then, you know, so it's a kind of a slippery slope from there. So being competitive is very important, and we have to be actually. I mean, I always tell my students that you know uh, we should be sensitive to the fact that we get hired very easily and so on. And it's nothing to do with us. It's to do with the fact that right now there is just tremendous demand and there is very little supply, and that is where we stand right now. And uh, you know, so and you have to think both sides. I mean, one thing one way you have to think is that if if the, the 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 job offer that I'm getting or the salary that I'm getting, if it was like one tenth, would I be still wanting to do that job? I'll only take it up basically. Uh, and on the other side, also think about the fact that you know. Uh, how can you improve yourself in the longer run? So again, this is something that I have said to several of my students that sometimes people feel that when they pass out of a design school, they have had enough knowledge for them to last till the time that they retire in the, from their career. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And nothing could be further from the truth. I and mean, as I said in the beginning, you no, know, it takes five to seven years to make a designer, and you just spent two years or three years or four years in your career trying to become a designer. There's still some more time just to become a designer, and then you have to become a good designer, and then you have to do an exceptionally good piece of work. You have to get lucky to get the appropriate breaks at the right time, get the opportunities at the uh, at the right time, and to do really some outstanding. Mm, sounds very complex and like challenging. And yeah. So and and you have to grow continuously. So this is something that I have learned uh, being in the field of interaction design. That you know what I learned maybe ten years ago. Uh, what I and what I'm doing today, I'm probably using only 25% of what I learned 10 years ago. And 75% of the things that I'm doing today, I learned in the last 10 years. Okay, and this has been like ongoing in my career since 1992, so about 25 years ago. So if this is if if you project it forward, I mean that means you're continuously learning. And so I would ask my designer friends, you know, where they have gone and what they have learned in the recent time. Like in the last two years, what what new things have you learned? Have you given enough time to yourself? Because unless you do that, you don't become better as a designer. You don't. And I'm not saying that go and learn something else. Learn something about what you are doing. Okay, and get better and better at it. And uh, so, because there is not enough competition, certain level of complacency might set in in some people, and that could be something that is worrisome. Hmm. Uh, so slightly changing track here uh, and. Like I wanted to ask you, like India, obviously, uh, as we have seen, uh, it's a very different kind of culture. There's a lot of multiplicity. Uh, and what I have observed in my 12 years of uh, design career, at least, is that um, a lot of people get inspired uh, by the Western school of thought, the Western school of design, uh, or maybe Oriental school of design. But is it fair uh, or do you think it's uh, uh, fair to borrow the concepts uh, which uh, like have been built over a period of time like say minimalism concept or uh, the zen design concept from the oriental school of design uh, do you think it's fair uh, for indians to borrow them or uh, because there's a very thin line between copying and just following right because uh, when you copy you actually try to understand and then uh, probably copy and uh, uh, when you are following it just like uh, ripping off right so what are your thoughts on that Firstly, I must I must say I must I'm kind of again give, going to give two different answers to this question. So one uh, one part of the answer is 
yes, obviously we are a very unique culture, and uh, in fact, I'll, I'll give this answer second. Let me give the first answer first. So the first answer is uh, minimalism, as you say. Basically, by that I suppose you mean things like clean lines and you know those kind of forms and mainly visual and those kind of issues, right? So many of many of these things actually come from uh, clean lines and uh, minimalistic forms and geometric shapes and streamlined bodies and things like that. Uh, actually, come from uh, they are more global, I would say, than being Western or being Oriental or something like that. Uh, and, and they are actually, um, in a sense, a response to the technologies that have developed, the manufacturing processes that have developed, the uh, the way things get made. So you know, if you go back to uh, Karl Marx, you know, the way things get made has an immense impact on society, and including things like form. And otherwise, I mean, you might not really see the direct. Link, but it is there, and the way things are developed, things are made, has a bit. So, and if you see a lot of our form, language, and so on developed in the post-industrial area when industrialization came in. So, how how can we make things? Um, I mean, it depends on the materials that are being used, the manufacturing processes, the uh, the the post manufacturing, servicing, and so on. So, it is kind of it, uh, on a broader scale. The effect of these things actually have had a very strong impact on things like minimalism and so on. Uh, and if you look at even things like print technology, I mean, till about, till offset came along, which is about 20 years, 25, 30 years ago. I mean, print technology in our language developed in, I would say, from, say, 1850 to, nine, to 1970. The technology that was being used was essentially uh, letterpress and blocks and so on. So the, the language in print, therefore, developed in that context, okay? And uh, and so, you know, so how things print, how things come out, how are they visible, what kind of typography, what kind of fonts we need to develop, and so on. What kind of paper is being used, is it? And so on. So, so all of these technologies, basically, that's what I mean by technology. So I don't necessarily mean only manufacturing technologies. And... Uh, so, so that is, so, and that has been a fairly global phenomenon. Technology has been a fairly global phenomenon. Uh, of course, it has, ha it so happens that many of these technologies have been developed in the Western world, uh, and, uh, in the industrial revolution and post-industrial revolution. And therefore, it seems like these are all Western ideas. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, but many of these are, if you see, are more fundamental. And in that sense, we should remain true to form. Okay, and true to process and true to uh, material and so on. So brass should not pretend to be gold and gold should not pretend to be brass, basically. It should be true to their material and they should be... So that, so that being the case, uh, we have been in that sense responding in a, uh, more or less in that way. Uh, and if you see now, a lot of things are changing also. Let me, let me uh, if you look at film now. I mean, there is a lot of technology that has come into what, lot more things are now possible in film than they ever were, okay? Things that would have been considered embellishments and so on in film, or let's say, I mean, you know, cricket matches. There's so much of, so much of use of augmented reality, you know, score is shown on the ground and, or the, there's a tracer which goes behind the ball when somebody hits a six. So, yeah, so these are all sort of, if, I mean, these are, if you think this is graphic design, 
and this is getting affected by what is what technology is becoming available to you using it in a in a sensitive manner to communicate better or to give more information or whatever it is uh, or if you see a movie like avatar which or uh, you know whatever lord of the ring uh, amount of or game of thrones i mean amount of computer graphics that we have available uh, you know make it possible to render so many nice very interesting things and they are all being used i mean if you think about it sometimes you know it may not be necessary to show a particular scene you know they're showing this bahubali scene on tv these days it's probably it wouldn't have been possible to make a scene like that you know unless you spent a lot of money you couldn't have made that kind of scene when say benhur was made you know it was made with what is called what star wars people called as love and care basically you know so they created all the sets and whatever whatever today you will probably do it in maybe a tenth the cost tenth of that cost and, and that is why we can see lot more people doing it so in that sense no no that is not minimalistic at all it is very grand in your sense um, so correct me if i am wrong but uh, as you mentioned what i read is that uh, whatever the general trend of following a particular school of design say for example minimalism uh, was due to uh, uh, the industrial revolution or Uh, lack of uh, particular. So, so actually, if you see, I mean, before this sort of all this modernism and Bauhaus and so on, if you see the historical period, so there was this arts and crafts movement in the West, which was basically the response to uh, the industrial industrialization that was happening in the 19th century. So, uh, so the industrialization pushed in making products. very mass produced ugly looking compared to what was there earlier it was beautifully produced but very expensive so industrialization brought the cost down everybody could afford a uh, lot more products uh, than they could earlier but those products were not necessarily very well crafted so there was actually a push back to that and there was this fashion craft movement where there was a lot of emphasis on hand crafting and skills and and so on and with that came a lot of embellishment and decorativeness and so on and then the modernistic sort of clean lines and minimalism and so on sort of came as a response to this arts and crafts because in the industrialized world i mean by then people had lived in the industrialized world for long enough to realize that it is here with us to stay with us i mean these manufacturing processes are here with us for us forever we should be trying to create something that suits this process rather than that way of manufacturing way of making things so uh and this came as a result or in response to that and so it's always having that kind of a cultural baggage but it was going back to i mean it was trying to become true to form it was responding to the available technologies in the truest possible way and that is the broader learning that we actually can take back from there so so you one answer to this is that uh but on the other hand uh the other answer is that actually there is a lot of unique problems that so so basically if you see this globalized so i mean colonialism globalization industrial revolution these are all sort of interconnected historical events and and uh, they kind of created a world or, or based on certain assumptions okay and uh, about 60 years ago or so those assumptions were broken down those assumptions were with the second world war many of these colonial colonies became independent countries at the end of the second world war and sort of a certain 
political thought kind of became widely accepted in the world. And so now the world that we live in, it is absolutely unsustainable to uh, apply the ideas of colonialized industrial revolution. So we have to actually respond to the problems that we face in our country. And and uh, so as so in that sense, as designers, we need to respond to the problems that. And this is another one of my other. I mean, this is related to the earlier point that I was saying. Uh, you know, so so obviously right now, uh, industry is growing in India. A lot of industry is also trying to globalize itself. The IT industry is probably right now the most globalized. But the manufacturing industry is trying to globalize and so on. And therefore, there is a demand for a certain kind of design. And and therefore, the designers are trying to. But if you but and then this is where actually the so there is in fact not that much demand for developing something for the Indian market or for Indian needs and so on. It is there. I'm not saying it's not there. But that demand is not able to right now afford a professional designer. Or maybe they can afford one professional designer, but not a team of hundred professional designers. So. Because designers have become very expensive, and that is sort of a. So as a result, industry is not asking people. Industry is not asking designers to make something for the Indian needs. Not enough. I mean, there are some people who are obviously, but not enough. Okay, and uh, but uh, I I do believe that you know we need to prepare our designers to be responding to Indian needs rather than any needs. But because first of all, we are in the Indian context. There is no other way that we can visibly point students to look. This is the problem, or look, that is the problem. Okay, that you can solve. The problems have to be, I mean, the real to be able to solve and make up. So, at least from a training point of view, we have to train people on that. Or from an education point of view, too. But from a broader perspective, I mean, that is what we should be doing. I mean, at least the IITs, the NIDs, the major design schools, which are government supported, are being supported by taxpayers' money, and that is our responsibility and role. But I would even say that even the private design schools should be doing that because ultimately they are being they are running on Indian uh, money, even if it's not taxpayers' money. It is Indian parents who are paying for the school children, for their children to get educated in these design schools. And ultimately, they need to be able to solve their problems. And so yes, yeah, so we need we need to train people or we need to educate people to be able to uh, respond to Indian problems. Okay, and uh, even if there is no such demand from India, mm-hmm. that's very interesting. So actually, uh, just taking this forward, uh, I had given one small talk uh, in one of the design conferences some time back, uh, where I was I mentioned about uh, how our Indian uh, food thali is designed properly, um, or there are some things designed by default. Uh, so what I have observed here is uh, that. Let's take an example of this thali itself, like uh, how things are placed in a particular order. And if you take a proper heat map or uh, understand the frequency at which uh, uh, someone accesses a chapati uh, with dal. So all those things are neatly laid out and uh, I felt that it's like nicely designed. Right. So the question is, uh, how can uh, like designers in India or people uh, within our country can understand uh, or leverage these uh, design principles uh, which are hidden in our rituals or uh, practices which we uh, which we have been following for a uh, lot of years yeah so i mean of course so there is a lot that one can because any culture that we look at uh, accumulates 
develops knowledge first of all then accumulates it over a period of time and then that knowledge kind of gets ritualized in terms of practices and behaviors in a culture and we say that this is a cultural thing to do okay so typically and so uh, you know uh, a fact becomes history history becomes legend legend becomes myth and myth becomes culture so it kind of you know so it's like you can develop some knowledge you will say something and then that gets accumulated gradually and this is more likely to happen in older cultures than newer cultures so obviously because this culture is very old you have a lot of that knowledge which is accumulated in the form of culture which can certainly be used okay uh there is a lot of also misrepresentation of knowledge uh, which we must because okay so the i mean i talked about research a little bit while earlier so what is research basically the research is the business of creating knowledge okay and uh, the uh, in older culture and this is true for indian culture and i presume it is true for most older cultures uh, what we can consider as traditional knowledge uh, so the traditional knowledge was created by some paradigm that is now lost okay uh, some culture by some set of research practices let me say allow me to use this word uh, or the research model which is now lost now we are in this westernized research model where we publish paper do peer review we do all these kind of things this is our now or we do phd and so on. so this is our knowledge generation process now whereas maybe 3000 years ago 5000 years ago whenever these practices came about knowledge generation process were probably completely different uh, although they are lost to us now so we don't know how to do that anymore and in the intermediate period so what has happened is that and i heard a very interesting talk uh, on i mean I, i saw it on the internet where somebody was talking about uh, one of the yoga practices okay and in an introduction to that uh, you know so he gave certain scientific facts of which are kind of cultural in india so example he said you know in india we call geography as google which means basically so yeah and then he said that there is this largest object in the star ha it is called a jesta which is which is a series of scientific facts and then he jumped to something which i which slips my mind now which is completely unscientific so because a is very scientific and b is very scientific and c is very scientific so d also must be very scientific this is not acceptable to me okay a and i accept a scientific and b scientific and c scientific that doesn't make b scientific automatically i will equally question b okay and and just because i am critical of it doesn't mean i don't i don't i am dismissing it i am not being dismissive of it i am being extremely respectful of it at the same time i am also saying that you must equal with equal rigor demonstrate or investigate why this is the case before claiming it to be scientific so saying it's a purely cultural practice i'm perfectly happy with it but if you're saying it's a scientific practice then you have so anyway, so there, there is a fair amount of that that has come into our culture also uh, which is something that is not so easy to uh, disentangle ourselves from Okay. it's part of us it's part of it is something so it's something very useful potentially a lot of these things are very useful and we should certainly use the useful bits out of it and sort of keep aside things that are not so useful or at least challenge them and investigate them possibly okay so so and i like kind of give an example from so i would say that actually we need to 
so I we work in the area of interaction design. My specific area is working uh, for uh, using interaction design for Indian needs. And within that one area that we have done specific amount of work using design of text input systems for Indian languages. So as you know, uh, we have some of the lowest number of Wikipedia pages per internet user in the world. Okay, so I'm saying internet users. That means they are already on the internet, but they don't create Wikipedia pages. Okay, uh, we have the smallest number of tweets in the world as far as languages are language wise per capita tweets. The number of Twitter users divided by number of Indian language tweets. I'm not counting English tweets coming out of India. Indian language tweets are very small. Uh, so if you if you kind of add up all of that, it basically comes that we cannot really do input in our own language. And actually, a lot has changed in the last three to four years because of smartphones. Okay, and the use of amount of use of text in, input in Indian languages on smartphones is way way more than on desktop. And I'm saying use and spread. So like the number of users who use uh, type in. I know, I know personally many, many users who can type now, uh, at least that's the users that I come in contact with in Indian languages on their smartphone, but they cannot do that on the desktop, on their desktop computer. Okay, there's quite a few people, and so thank, we should thank smartphones for that. So we basically, so we have, and there are quite a few keyboards available which you can use uh, for Indian languages on, on smartphones, and we happen to have designed one of those. Okay, and one of the things that we are constantly questioned is the rationale that is used for Indian languages, in the design of Indian language keyboards versus the rationale that is being used for English. And there's a, there's a fair number of keyboards, including some of the world's leading keyboards that have been trans, that have been sort of localized for Indian languages. And we have done evaluations with some of them, not all of them, but some of them. And we have found that they do actually much worse than some of the keyboards that we know does not use great technology, but they're designed using the understanding of the script. So, so, so this is where I would say that, so there are already thousands of things, and now our scripts have been very beautifully designed. And I'm not saying just the visual form of the scripts, which are also beautiful, of course, but then all scripts are beautiful in that sense. But the structure of the script, so if you, if you, you know, I ask my students to do this exercise, I ask them to place their hand on their throat and say, go, 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 no. And you can feel the, feel the throat vibrate. Okay. And these are all gutturals. And then, so, so the, 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 the structure of the script is extremely well uh, defined in terms of the parts of the body that produce the sounds. Okay. And um, uh, I would say they are, yeah, I mean, they're just basically how they're structured according to how the body can develop those sounds. Okay. And there are certain sounds which don't exist, for example, in our vocabulary. For example, some of the African sounds we cannot really reproduce very easily, uh, or including some of the uh, some of the uh, uh, European sounds we cannot actually. So the the cur that we say, you know, if, if I say uh, if I say if I have to try to pronounce cut, okay, so I would say cut. You know, I mean, I'm absolutely uh, so using my absolute Maharashtra nation, but actually the English pronunciation of it is cut. Okay, so it's a sound between k and k. Okay, so these are two different sounds, and we don't produce those sounds, but those sounds could potentially be produced. 
I mean, if you see the Kern Mukta, which is used in Hindi, which kind of it comes a lot closer, although it's still not the same. Okay. So it's kind of even one step ahead of it. So it's like, you know, taking the microtones in a, in a piano, which you cannot produce out there. So, uh, but uh, if you, but there are some other sounds, African sounds, which you cannot produce, uh, which are like, for example, there is this sound, which sounds like this, which we cannot produce. I mean, we can produce it, I mean, obviously we have the same uh, mouth structure, but we cannot write it down. Okay, we don't have written representations for this. And, uh, and so on. But if we, barring some of these exceptions, we can produce any sound that human mouth can produce could more or less be represented in some way in the script. Okay, so now, so but the point is that this structure is also easy to memorize because it's according to the body part. Okay, and uh, uh, so the typical, there has been findings, for example, in uh, American studies which show that uh, if you use alphabetical keyboards, that does not give any specific advantage as compared to a random keyboard. So, so they did studies. They, just, they had four different keyboards. One was one of them was a very optimized keyboard. One of them was a QWERTY keyboard that all of us are familiar with. One of them was an alphabetical keyboard. One of them was a random keyboard. Out of which, so the the optimized keyboard obviously did the best. QWERTY did second best because it's reasonably well optimized. And the alphabetical and the random did equally badly. It was optimized according to how your hand moves and what is the letter frequency is like. So, so it's the Drovac keyboard itself. It has a different layout from QWERTY. Okay, and so this was studied done in 1980s by Donald Norman. So, uh, so the and the argument was that people did not use the alphabetical algorithm. So by, what that means is that so I have to type to type an N. People don't say okay, I'm trying to type an L N. So it has to be uh, so L M N. O P, so it has to be after the M and before the P. So L M N O P, where is L M N O P? People don't use this algorithm. What they say is N N N N N N N N N N. So they go about doing it. Okay, but when we do a similar study with uh, Indian language and show them alphabetically laid out, or the actually alphabetically wrong, laid out according to the Varnamala of the Devanagari system. So when you then people say no, or have to type no. So, Tothosan, no, they automatically say that. Where is Tothosan? No. Actually, they have forgotten the alphabetical sequence. They have forgotten the sequence of the Dengari. But when they are searching for no, they say Tothosan, no. And they say this because it is so easy, because it's the same part of the body that is producing the sound. Okay, so they tend to. So, what I'm saying is that such fundamental things we need to be able to uh, look at uh, when we are designing these things. So, we kind of. We should borrow from this, or rather, this is our storehouse, and if you want, we can use it. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a, it can give us a benefit, basically. Mm -hmm. That's very insightful, actually. So, as you mentioned about this keyboard thing, um, there are a lot of these concepts which are uh, available in the market today, uh, which have hit the masses, uh, were probably conceived, say, 5, 10, 15 years back in uh, IDC or other design schools. Uh, and this I got to know because uh, Sunit Singh, who was my ex-boss, uh, he uh, was uh, IDC student, right? So he mentioned about, so I'm asking on his behalf as well, uh, that uh, first of all, what are the challenges to uh, stay ahead of this curve? Uh, in terms of innovation or uh, new uh, inventions in the field of design? Uh, 
uh, and secondly how can we spot them uh, spot these uh, uh, brilliant ideas uh, which were thought say 10 years back uh, early on so that we can bring them to the market uh, soon okay so so absolutely i mean uh, i always say that in fact so this is a, there are two ways of looking at it and this is something that i touched upon earlier uh, we very often we encourage you uh, students to work on projects that are far out i mean far ahead or uh, far beyond what is possible today but it should be possible given the situation okay yeah so this will be certainly an example of it and uh, there could be also many other so i just want to give another example you mentioned sunit so sunit actually subsequently went and designed the ola app right uh, so in a few years ago what is interesting is sunit passed away in 2004 if i remember or 2005 i'm not sure and 2005 or 2006 i remember working on a project uh, for taxi drivers and many of the concepts that we actually i mean we we well the project was a class project so we just ran a two week three week class and we conceptualized some products which are very similar and i fortunately had to happen to have the slides and i cannot show it also even now because after ola came back it makes a lot of sense to show that uh, ola and uber so many of the things that we talked about ola and uber still don't do okay but many of the other things that we talk about over there they do so there are bunch of things that are there out there that they don't do and they could do possibly or somebody else could do it and overtake them so in a three week class we can conceptualize something that can take 15 years for the industry to realize so so and that is the capacity that we would like to develop in every designer so by definition or by effort or by purpose we will be ahead education will academia will be ahead of the industry because we are preparing people for the future and so so if this is happening then it is not that the industry is failing it is that the academics is becoming successful okay so 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 the, there is a longer gestation period and you know it industry is one of the faster moving industries technologies change very fast more things get developed very fast and so on manufacturing industry has even longer gestation period yeah so yeah so it is it is something that it's a question of gestation period so industry has i mean the mouse was first showcased in uh, virat spark uh, research lab so it's an industrial research lab not even academic in 1968 the project was ready i mean they started work in 1964 they showcased it in 1968 the first really popular commercial mouse it took about 1984 before the apple macintosh was introduced before it could become a viable product in the industry so that's a 16 year gestation period so that's typical of you know what we do now in research and what we know now in academics uh, 10 years 15 years later becomes real mm-hmm. uh, but there's also a danger to this because uh, uh, like when we are uh, giving this freedom to the students that uh, you should think far out in the future uh, there's no like restriction as such as to ha- how far right uh, so it could be like 10 years 20 years or maybe 500 years down the line so uh, how do we like keep a tap on this uh, so that uh, we have some realistic uh, uh, goals or realistic expectations and also to spot the idea early on so that it can at least reach the market in a relevant time um, so what's your thought on that yeah so i can understand this is more like an industry question rather than an academic question uh, so basically what i think how do i reduce the gestation period and so on so frankly it is being 
I, I don't know. I don't. I have at least I am not aware of any one or a specific set of methods to do that. So how do you nurture good ide- good ideas? You mean to say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so how do I nurture? I mean, we actually had a. I said we don't engage much with alumni, but we actually had an alumni meeting last December, that is it. And uh, one of my students went ahead and founded a company, then sold his company, and then he. uh came back and then he was sort of saying you know you're giving examples of uh, so we he actually worked on projects which were about things like investments and and atm like ideas like you know pay micro payments and so on and uh, uh and he said you know these ideas i conceptualized as a student uh and uh, at that time you know um my teachers were telling me to you know go and start up and do something about this at that time i did not pay attention and look at what is happening to paytm today or look at what where all these micro payment companies are going today i could have been one of those guys at that time okay so there is always that that regret so the thing is that and this is uh, i think this is a good place to be i mean if you could con- if you could concretize or if you could convert each and every idea that you could think about then you're probably not thinking enough ideas so the thing is that uh, we have uh, creative abilities with that those abilities we are able to come up with hundreds of ideas that does not mean each of those ideas could be materialized at some stage okay just but but because we are able to come up with hundreds of ideas uh you know there is a chance that some of them will stick some of them will be able to come up with these materialize but this is the same principle that comes from brainstorming at a narrow in a smaller time scale and how you come up with 100 ideas uh, and the reason why you don't critique any ideas at that time is because you want to generate more ideas and uh, so in a similar manner now if you kind of expand that time frame uh, there has to be an opportunity for people to generate and be creative and come up with things that have not yet been conceptualized by anybody and then many of those ideas actually probably might not be 100% practical now but there might be one or two that might be and and so how to it's like asking you know to tell before a film is made which film will become a hit film so it's difficult to say mm-hmm. so that actually reminded me of a uh, quote by vishnu digambar paluskar where he mentions that i don't want to create uh, tansen uh, i would rather create uh, kansen exactly which actually means that you give uh some sort of an environment where design can flourish and i believe uh, idc and other design schools are trying their level best to do this uh, so that's it from my side thanks anirudh for being on the show uh, thanks for giving us your time uh, any uh, anything which you would like to share with our listeners you know i'm fine thank you very much for taking for taking this initiative i think it's a good idea i hope uh, you get thousands of hits uh, <laughs> thank you thank you and all the best for you thank you and that's it from my side on epistemology of design with anirudh joshi stay tuned for more gyan on audio gyan next week till then bye hello it's been a great week on the ivm podcast network On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, 
and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutya is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Nutty Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcast.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on youtube.com slash IVM Podcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week. Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks guys, without you this would not be possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web3, Blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IBM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs>